Hey guys, Brian. We're um, going to have a special Shopcast episode this week. Um, the following is a sermon that I preached recently to our community here in Winnipeg, a detailing practice of what we call Bible meditation. It's a biblical concept uh, where you meditate on the scriptures and uh, you can really go deep in the knowledge of God and uh, encounter him in, in uh, specific ways, but it requires a little bit of uh, instruction and practice. And so you're going to be able to listen to this and uh, learn how we do it step by step. And I encourage you to take it and try it. Take it home and put it into practice and allow the Lord to lead you into deeper understanding of what he's like. In these times that we're living in right now, we desperately need to know what he's thinking and what he's feeling. So take it, practice it, and enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Okay, so... Um, we are going to take a look tonight at uh, this practice that we've been doing, uh, some of us on staff have been doing for a while, on the uh, idea of Bible meditation as part of a larger discussion on the knowledge, growing in the knowledge of God. We said a few things in the past, let me just review really quickly, um, that we said that the idea that God would say to us, that Jesus would say to us, the most important thing that you can do while you're here on the earth is love God with your whole heart your whole soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and then set you free to try to do that when you don't actually know who he is, is you're, set, you're being set up to fail. You can't love somebody you don't know. And so the premise here, and what we're going to operate from, is we're going to grow in the knowledge of who he is in very, very um, specific ways. You'll see how it works. And the the idea on the other end is this is going to allow you to do all the other things that the, the Bible is telling you you should be doing, the, 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 the directions of Jesus, the things that you encounter in a, in a daily basis. You, you cannot do what it is that you're hoping that you're going to do without a deeper uh, intimacy and knowledge of who this is that you're, you're following. It, when I was first, uh, the first week uh, that I met my wife, Shannon, we were in uh, New Brunswick. I'll give you the story. Um, I had just graduated from the, <clears throat> the seminary in Toronto, um, and uh, she had just graduated from her undergraduate degree in music uh, at Acadia University in, in Nova Scotia. And I didn't know that she existed, but I knew her sister, and I knew her sister's husband. He was a friend of mine. And I was coming home from Toronto to my hometown in New Brunswick, where my parents had owned the house, and that's where I grew up. And I was going home, and she was coming up to the town at the same time to help her sister and her husband move, because they were going to change cities. And when I arrived there, I knew just one day in advance, or a couple days in advance, that, that um, Stephanie, who I knew, had a sister named Shannon. And I, did, I found out this story. Whoa, she's got a sister. Younger or older? Older. No way. Okay. And the I just could feel something like the Lord saying, you know, this is going to be an important one. You need to pay attention when you meet her. And, you know, it wasn't too hard because when I did finally meet her and I saw her for the first time, I looked at her and I heard the Lord say, that's the one you're going to marry. And she looked at me and she heard the Lord say, that's the guy you're going to marry. I mean, we could have got married that weekend, but of course we didn't because nobody does that. You don't, you, well, you shouldn't because nobody knows, you don't know each other. So I thought, well, I need to get to know her. So in the, she was only there a few days. Then she left to go on tour with an orchestra and all that stuff. And so I thought, well, I'm going to take her out. So I booked a, a meal at some fancy Bathurst restaurant. 
I can't remember what it was, but it was something a little bit better than McDonald's. I don't remember what it was. And uh, we went up the next level up, and uh, and I sat across from the table from her and get, tried to get to know her. And and later, years later, when we were married, she said, you just interviewed me. She said, that's what you did. You just asked me endless questions, question after question after question, and I just answered them all like I was on your show or something. And then, and then that was kind of the end of the date, and so it wasn't very romantic, but I wanted to know who she was. And so I was pushing for information. I'm trying to figure out who is she and what's she like because I know time is short and I've already heard the Lord say, this is the girl. i got to figure out who this woman is. Now, I, for all that I found out on that first day, and there was enough, I mean, I found out some things that I really liked and, and uh, that kept me interested, you know, obviously, and the Lord helped. But what I really uh, needed came over time. It didn't all come on the first day. You didn't... You didn't get saved and say, Jesus, I love you, and you got it all. You just didn't. You got enough, and you got encountered, and the Lord was real to you. But now you have this journey that you're on to really discover what he's like. And we've talked about this a number of times. We are in a kind of a culture in North American church life where we have assumptions about what, he, what God is actually like, and they're, they're kind of fictional. Like They're helpful. They're almost po metaphorical or poetic, but they're not real. And so what the Lord is highlighting and through this journey that we've been on, and which we're going to talk about tonight, is how to, turn, how to turn Jesus into someone really real and how to encounter him in ways that really benefit us. So I need to get going here because we're going to get away on us. So let me give you a few key background ideas uh, that just need to be in your head first, and then we'll move into techniques. We'll get really practical. I'm, I'm going to read to you from my journal. I'm going to have some other people come up and talk about their experiences. Like, you're really going to hear it tonight in the way that uh, we've been doing it. So here's some key ideas. Um, the first one is, you've heard this phrase lots, the one thing reality. I mean, we, everybody's heard it. We've got a one thing conference, for goodness sakes. And you know, because we've talked about this before, there's three places in the Bible where it talks about being one thing. One of them is kind of a, not connected, but the other two is Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've desired, which means the one thing is the priority, the above and beyond, the, the singular of importance. And the other one is in uh, uh, Luke 10, it's Mary Bethany, and Jesus says concerning her as she's sitting before him, and Martha's busy, Mary has chosen the one thing needed, which again, by the language of it says, there's lots of things you could be doing, but there's one thing that matters right now, and Mary picked it, and she's not going to be taken from her. And so when we hear that language of one thing, we're usually, we're pretty excited. We want to be people of one thing. I mean, I want to be a one thing guy. I want to do the one thing above every other thing. The problem with it is that usually that uh, is interpreted in, a, in a, a less than specific way, and so the one thing idea gets a little lost. So I'm going to start by saying this, and there's lots of other things that I could do, say to support it, but I believe, and I think we're going to see this over the next number of weeks, to do this one thing reality, it's intentional. You have to actually be really intentional. There are very specific things, even biblically specific things, that you do. And there's other things that you don't do. And if you do them, and if you stay on them, and you're intentional, and you actually do, you follow that through, you enter into a one-thing reality. So one thing is not, well, you know, I go to the prayer room, or I live a good life, or I try to talk to my neighbors about Jesus. That's not biblically what the Lord is describing when he says you're a person of one thing. We'll get to that when we get into the techniques in a minute. But I just want to get that word in your head, intentional. It requires that you actually set yourself to do it. 
I'm going to be a one-thing person, which means I'm going to do some things. Number two, <coughs> well, connected with it, actually, this idea that comes that you see in both of them is one of gazing and listening, which we've talked about enough here that I think you're familiar with it, but I just want to get those, that language in there, that there is, there is the, the um, activity both in Psalm 27 and in Luke 10 of gazing upon the beauty and listening to what's coming back and actually stopping intentionally paying attention and listening. The third one, we're not just after knowledge, because knowledge, um, well, you know, you've, you've studied enough things in your life, you've studied the Bible enough. Knowledge will get in your head, and it helps, it's foundational, but it's not, that's not what Bible meditation is going to be about. It is about, as we've said before, living understanding. You're, you're after something that transcends just the ideas into something that is real to you. Or somebody says, you know, have you ever had lobster? And you say, no, I've never had it. Oh, it's so good. You, you'd love it. If you've never had lobster, you're going to love it. It's salty. It's rich. It's, it's delicious. It's awesome. And you, you can look pictures at it. You can, you can read it on the internet. You can go to YouTube and watch other people eat lobster. You can go to the superstore and put your face up against the glass and look at them as they swim around in the tank. But you don't know what lobster tastes like until you taste it. So you can have an idea, you can have knowledge. Living understanding is that first bite that goes in your mouth. You go, oh my gosh, this is lobster. <laughs> yes, mom? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Us maritimers, we understand. Number four, Bible meditation, this is just foundational ideas. Bible meditation is profoundly biblical. So lest you think, oh, this is just some weird technique that we created somewhere. No, it's biblical. Meditate on the, on the, the, the law. Meditate on the word night and day. It's all, there's a number of places where it talks about it. It's not, it's not an unusual uh, idea. In fact, it's probably greatly neglected and should be normal, but it's easily passed over. Number five, the goal of Bible meditation, our goal, I'll, I'll remind you of this numerous times, but the goal is the revealing of who God is. So in all your Bible meditation, no matter what you're encountering and what's going on, the goal is the revealing of who he is. You'll have to be reminded of this because you'll get into it and the conversation will start to roll and you'll be way off track and you, you'll feel like it's all about you and what's going on and the Lord's highlighting all these things. Ultimately, it's still about him. And we'll, I'll show you that when we get there. Number six, if number five, if the goal is the revealing of who God is, number six is equally important. I believe this is what he wants to talk about. When you enter into Bible meditation, you have to have in your head a confidence that God actually wants to talk about who he is. That's his topic. Now, we start the conversation, we have lots of things we want to talk about. What does this passage mean? What does it mean for me? And, you know, could I, could I have more power for healing, Lord? And, and, you know, what about my finances? And what are all these things? And the Lord's like, yeah, but what I want to talk about is me. I want to reveal what I'm actually like. And that's what he talks about every time we do it. And so with that, two started, those two, two sides of the same coin, it's really helpful when you get into the practice of it because you'll realize, oh, yeah, the goal is to see more of who he is. And I don't have to try to pull it out of him. That's what he wants to talk about. We get on the on the, the heavenly phone with him to use an analogy. You know, it doesn't matter what you want to talk about. The Lord wants to talk about more about who he is. He wants to tell you these things. And number seven, 
uh, last foundational point, Jesus is the center. Not um, God in a conceptual way. Not uh, God of the Old Testament specifically, although, you know, it's all, we understand theologically that's all the same, but um, we're going to focus in specifically on Jesus. I want to read you a passage, um, Colossians chapter 2. It just gives you just a little bit of insight into why. Um, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for the many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden, now listen to this, in him, Jesus, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, sometimes we think, well, Jesus is nice, and that's a great, you know, the Gospels are, are good, but then what about the Old Testament? I can learn a lot about God there, too. And, of course, you can. And what about nature and creation? I can learn a lot there. And, of course, you can. But there's nothing that you cannot learn that's, found, that's not found in Jesus. It, what's seen in him, all of it is, is present. You can learn what you need to learn by focusing on him, and think it through for a second. God took on human form and moved down into our neighborhood and, and interacted with us. And you got, you know, four full Gospels describing what he's like as he interacts with humans. I mean, there's nothing that compares. So we're going to focus on Jesus. He's the center. He's the center biblically, theologically. Um, there's all those other things are, of course, of value. I'm not saying don't read the Old Testament. That's crazy. Um, but there is something very central about this that's going to take us on our journey. And it's particularly important because Jesus is so accessible. And you see that in the Gospels, and we're going to build on that idea. Okay, so those are our key, um, uh, key uh, foundational ideas. Now, let's look at some techniques. With the foundational ideas in place, um, we want to talk about techniques. It's easy to believe that Jesus is the one in whom we find all wisdom and knowledge of God. But how do you gain it? For yourselves, what do you actually do through Bible meditation so that you gain this understanding? So I'm going to give you five words to begin. When you're first starting out in Bible meditation and you sit down with your passage, you're going to open up your Bible, you're going to take your journal and your pen, I mean, this is as practical as it gets, and you're ready to go. Bible, journal, pen, hey, Lord, now. And I'll tell you the passage that you're going to look at. Starting next week, we'll give you the passage. The first thing that you can do to set yourself before you do anything else is you can do these five things. You can read the passage, which is essential. I mean, you can't do it if you don't read it, but it's important to read it. To actually just, you know, take a look at it, stop and pause and read it and look at it. The second thing to do, and I do this every time, is to write it down in my journal. I think it was Johan got me on it, actually. You do it every time, too, right? I always write it down. And the reason why I write it down, or at least the specific section that we're going to focus on, is because there's something about, again, setting yourself so that it becomes, um, uh, it, it's in your mind now. You've placed your mind on it. You've gone through the exercise of writing the words individually. You've got your heart beginning to connect to it. You don't want to skip these steps because we're in such a hurry to get things done and writing things down really makes a difference. The third one, saying it. So we've got read it, write it, now we're at say it. Saying it out loud 
actually makes a huge difference. I don't know how many of you, how many of you guys on staff have, have taken that practice of just saying the scriptures out loud. You find, and you, I'm sure you're benefiting from it if you're doing it. That we, we're in a bit of a closed context on in our staff because we're in a tight little living room, so we don't have the ability to say a lot of things out loud. But there is something very powerful about hearing yourself say what is true. And so when you are given Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I could just read the verse and try to get on with it. Or I could read the verse and stare at it. And then I could read the verse, stare at it, and write it down. The Lord is my shepherd. So I'm slowing myself down. I'm, he- I'm, I'm intentionally connecting my mind and my heart to it. I can actually open up my mouth. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have to hear myself say it with my own words. I lack nothing if the Lord is my shepherd. Ooh. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Can you all feel a little stab in your heart as I say that out loud? Right? Because we feel like we believe that, but then when we say it, we kind of realize right away, well, actually, I feel like I lack things, and I feel like yeah, I need more stuff, And but the Bible tells me something different. So there's something going on immediately as soon as you stay, start into it. Faith comes when you hear yourself say it. Then you can take it the fourth one. You can sing it. It's difficult. We've never been able to do it in our context because it's too closed. So I don't know that I'd want Brian to just suddenly burst into song right across from me. In the, I don't want that, right? No. Okay. So, But that, that, that will take it to another level if you'll actually sing it. And maybe in here, if we turn the music up loud enough, we'll be, you'll be able to engage with that a bit. Uh, but same premise as, as saying it. It just uh, goes to another level. And then the last one, of course, is praying the passage and the things that come from it. And it will take you much deeper, especially over time, if you turn it into prayer and conversation with the Lord. So read it, write it, say it, sing it, pray it. Those five will set you. They're not, that's not the whole thing. That's only the beginning. But if you get them in place, it's got your heart in the right place, and now you can go forward. And so setting yourself to connect with him through his word. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the living word. And he also says that the scriptures is the written word. And the word is the word. It's the same. And so when we're interacting with the scriptures, we are actually interacting with the, with the one who's spoken of as the word. So you're setting yourself at this point to interact with God himself. In other words, there's going to be in, an encounter that takes place with a person, not a Bible study with some ideas. If you just want to get the passages and then figure out what they mean, you're doing a study on the ideas. But if you're going to the written word, which is also the alive word, which is Jesus himself, and you're turning your heart towards Jesus, what's coming on the other side of this is an encounter with a person, a real person, not just a concept or an idea. Which, again, we'll remind you of numerous times, but that's you're trying to shift yourself that direction. And this needs to be a conversation not an examination of him from a distance. This is a subtle uh, difference, and you'll see it when we read some of our stuff, but um, the conversation is different than an examination. So Jesus is in the boat, and he's sleeping, and they're going across the water, and the storm blows up. Uh, Doing Bible meditation from a distance is how fascinating that Jesus would have been doing such a thing, and his disciples would have been there too, and the storm, I wonder how big the storm was, and I wonder how they fell. Were they really wet? And then I wonder if he was wet. You know, he was lying on the thing. And I'm not talking to him at all. He's not even in my discussion. I'm just trying to figure it out from a distance. But conversation is, Jesus, what, what was it like when they woke you up? 
Did you ever ask them that? Did you ever think to ask them, hey, what was it like when they woke you up that day? You were sleeping in the boat and they woke you up and the waves were this big and the wind was blowing and they were panicking and you knew it all because you created the lake that they were on in the first place and set the boundaries. You actually invented weather. So the wind and all that stuff, that was you. So how did it feel when they woke you up? Completely different conversation. We're after those kinds of conversations. You want to interact with him in a way so that you're not doing it from a distance, but you're having an actual conversation with a real person who's really alive and really wants to talk to you. In all the ways that you think of encountering God in your life right now, from worshiping worship songs, prayer ministry times, manifestations, all those ways in which you encounter the Lord, this is no different. No different at all. This is just encountering the Lord. We're just using a different, slightly different technique, but all the ways you're familiar with will just get slightly reordered, and we're going to go right into encountering him yet again. So we're going to learn to come near to him through the Bible itself and let the encounters happen in this very intentional way of gazing and listening. Okay. So you have your mindset, you have your heart set, You've gone through read it, write it, say it, say it, pray it, if that's helpful for you, and you're ready to have an encounter. The next step is critical. Now, we do this on Tuesdays. We just kind of blow by all these things because we've been doing it for so long. But the next step's really important, and I always try to, to get it in there, whether they realize it or not. You, the next thing is so important. You must now ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. John chapter 14 uh, 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now, and later he'll be in you, which of course is us. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. He's not just around you, but he's actually in you, and he leads into all truth. So when we do Bible meditation, we step into that thing of where you very purposefully, before you move forward, say, Holy Spirit, you live within us, you're around us, you lead us into truth and into encounter with Jesus. You cannot have an encounter with Jesus through the written word by your own efforts. You can't. You'll try and you'll get information. The only way you can have a real encounter is he has to lead you to him. And how do I know that? Because I did the other side lots, and I don't get anything. And you've probably done it too. The Holy Spirit must be involved. So be intentional and ask him for help. Don't skip that part. That's that, uh, that important point. Now, I'm going to show you something. <clears throat> I, brought a, I brought a book. It's a little too far for most of you. Um, I don't know if you can see that guy. It says, Hitler's Compromises. Coercion and Consensus in Nazi Germany by Nathan somebody. Can't read his last name. Picture of Hitler and all the Nazi boys from the 40s, right? World War II. It's a, it's a, a book written about Hitler. It's kind of a biography, but it's in a specific area. It's well-written, scholastic, academic. If you wanted to read it, you know, you probably would learn a whole lot about Germany. You'd learn a lot about Hitler and his motivations and his ideas. You cannot do meditation on this book. It's impossible. You can learn about it. You can think about it. You can dwell about it. But the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you into all truth with this book because this book is not the alive Word of God, the written Word of God 
in, uh, connected with the alive word of Jesus, this is about Hitler. All books are like that, except for the Bible. The Bible is alive. The Bible is the, a written word of God. It's Jesus. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit moving you towards the truth. You can encounter him through the Bible, and the Holy Spirit must be involved, but you can't do it any other way. And so... We want to think about that when we approach the scriptures. We say, Lord, what's going on? There's more happening here. It's about encounter with God. And again, it requires the spirit of God to do it. Don't skip the step. Okay, now, it's time to begin. We've got it all laid out. We asked the Holy Spirit, now what? Journal, Bible, passage, music's playing. I'll turn some music on. That'll be usually helpful sometimes distracting, depending on how good it is. We've had lots of sets in our setting where the set, now this is, this is real, where the set that we're listening to from IHOP that we just picked randomly becomes part of the conversation. How many times would you say that? How many of you have had that experience? Staff, how many of you have said, oh yeah, the set became, yeah, everybody? It happens frequently. You're like, well, how's that possible? We just picked a random set. Well, the Lord, he uses it. If it's true, they're singing about something, and suddenly those ideas start to blend with what you're thinking about, and the two things come together. And so, lest you think, oh, music just bothers me, let the Lord weave the conversation for you. You're not trying to do it on your own. You're, you're letting him talk to you about something, and he's got ways to do it. And so, when you start into this, it's time to engage in an actual conversation. Questions and comments take the lead here. You're going to ask questions. And you're going you're gonna to listen for answers. And you're going to make comments. You write down everything that moves you along. So you don't have to write down every thought that you have. But everything that's important, everything that is striking your heart that would move the conversation along, like you were talking to someone face-to-face, -face, write it down. Everything you hear from him, everything you hear in your own heart, every question that comes up, every answer that you get, you write them all down. Now, I'm going to get some other people up here that will describe the way they do it. And it might be a little bit different, but um, this is a good, great way to start because the, the process of writing keeps you focused and reminds you what it is you're thinking about. If you don't write at all, your mind will hit an idea, four more ideas, some of which are not good. And the next thing you know, you're over here trying to remember, you know, you know, you got to do your laundry and, you know, i got to pay a bill. And how did I get way over here? Write it down. And it keeps you on track. And it really works. It's very effective as a conversational tool. Uh, now remember, though, this is a conversation and not observation from a distance. So here's the way I do it. I don't write down anything that's not in conversational style. I begin every statement, every session, and if I, this is a new journal, so I don't have very many of them, but if I had my old journal, I could show you section after section after section. Every time we do it, every session starts with a, a very a deliberate statement right to Jesus. I will start with, I'll write it down, Luke 19, you know, 38 to 42, whatever we're doing. And then the next line will be, Jesus, you are so amazing because, and I'll write it out. I've started into a conversation. Not from a distance. I'm not saying, isn't Jesus amazing because, as though he's not paying attention. I'm talking right to him. And then I never break from that. Never. Joel, you do the same, don't you? Pretty much the whole, the whole thing, it's just a conversation with him. You write the whole thing down. And so I keep my, my conversation rolling by, by directing my, my uh, statements to him, uh, just like I'm praying. I keep my spirit attuned to his responses, and I let my mind move with ideas as they come to me. 
And so I write something down. It sounds like this is my idea, but then I'm aware. Am I hearing something? And, and you know how to do that. You're prophetic people. Something will come back to you, an idea, and you'll say, okay, I like that. That's, I write that down. I'm aware of what he's saying. And sometimes he'll begin to move you in a certain direction. And when he begins to move you in a certain direction, that's you having a conversation where it goes somewhere. If Joel and I were talking, and we started with, uh, what do you think of the, the day today? Which we often do, actually. We drive home. We've been driving home together at the end of our prayer room hours on Sunday nights for almost 14 years. Pretty much every Sunday for 14 years, Joel and I drive home together. Now Emily's in the car, and there's been a variety of others, but that's, that's a normal pattern. So somewhere between here and the house, there will be a comment like, so what did you think about today? And it might start with, oh, man, I just loved that message. Oh, you're, you're just a great teacher, and I just love what you're saying. I've hardly heard anybody better than you ever, uh, something like that. And so it may not be like that, but if it, if it is like that, in 10 minutes, we won't be talking about that. We'll be talking about something else because it'll just move to something else. You know how it is. All of a sudden, we'll be like, oh, yeah, Corey Russell. Remember that time he taught? He was so awesome. And where is he anyway? Oh, he's in Dallas. What is that place in Dallas like anyway? You ever been there? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. And I listened to their new album the other day. How did we get on the album? We were talking about my preaching. That's the way conversations go. That's the way Bible meditation goes. It doesn't follow a linear pattern and just stay on topic. The Lord has a conversation with you, and he leads you somewhere. And so you want to you be able to be flexible and move with him. So I don't worry so much about the meaning of the passage or trying to sort out exactly what it says. I just let the Holy Spirit lead me along the path of revealing Jesus. And sometimes that comes in various ways, but my goal always is, what do you like? At all times, I'm aware of the ultimate goal, finding out more of what God is like. That's what I'm after all the time. Even when the conversation turns to me as the center, which it often does, I still go with it, but I know in the back of my mind that it's ultimately about him. And so that'll happen frequently. Remember that one about the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing? Well, the first time that you've heard the story, but when he encountered me with that, he said, you know, I wrote it down, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then when I got to the I lack nothing part, he basically put his finger at me like this and said, you don't believe that. And all of a sudden, it was about me. And I could feel it. I could feel the, uh-oh, I think I'm in trouble. And I argued with him, actually. I think I do. I do believe it. I've been leading this house of prayer for a long time. I think I know this. I have faith. And then I waited, and then I heard him say again, you don't believe that. And I argued a little bit more, maybe not quite as passionately, and I started to think to myself, he's got to be right, because he's God, but I feel like I believe it. And then he said it one more time, you don't believe that. And when he said it the third time, all of a sudden I went, I don't believe it. It's true. And it's like, it just came from here. And we had a serious conversation. It was about me, but it wasn't really about me, was it? Because through that, on the other side was, I'm the good shepherd. You lack nothing. This is me revealing me, not me revealing you. It's about you right now, but it's really about me. It's always about me. And I knew, I, I didn't know it then, but I know it now. So when you're having your conversations, don't worry if you go off track. Don't worry if he just starts talking to you about you. That's all right. It'll swing back. And so I'm often struck by something powerful that he's saying or revealing, and I just write it down. I pray into it in the moment, and then I just let him speak more into it. 
this is really important. There's no rush. There is no pressure to get through the whole passage. There's no pressure to come up with some amazing thing that you have to share in the debrief at the end. None. In fact, if you get to the debrief at the end and all you do is cry, oh, Jesus is so good. That's awesome. Awesome Bible meditation. Way to go. There's no rush. There's no panic. Remember, the goal is to have him come near and encounter you so that we know more about what he's like. And this is what he wants to talk about. This is his goal. Okay, just a couple more techniques, and I'm going to get some people up here. As the 45 minutes or so goes by, which is about how long we're going to take, you will feel um, to just stop at points or and, and just be still. You'll just kind of be writing along and just kind of go, oh, I just need to stop. I just need to be quiet before the Lord. Just let him speak to me or something. Or there'll be other points where you just want to thank him for his goodness and his nearness. You just feel energized by it. Or there'll be other points, which happens to be frequently, where suddenly it's coming so fast that I want to write as frantically as I can to get it all down because it's too much. I hear him talking and I'm like, wait, 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 I got to get all this down. And I'm writing, writing, writing. And many other responses will come to you in the process. You're going to see pictures, some of which you understand, some of which you don't understand. You use your prophetic skills that you've developed here to navigate through that. You'll feel his nearness at times. You'll be distracted by your life at times, and you can't focus because that's what it means to be human and not quite in touch. You will definitely feel rebuked at times. All of us on our, on our team have been rebuked by the Lord in this process. Me, many times. <laughs> I don't know if I just deserve it or what, but it seems like frequently the Lord confronts and rebukes. Not in a way that you feel like I should just give up the faith. Not that kind, but in a, in a disciplined way. In a, like I just described, you don't believe that. That's a rebuke. That's him going, you're, you're pretending. You're hiding behind this idea for 12 years. You're saying, oh yeah, I got faith. I'm out front. I'm leading. And look at this. You don't actually believe it. It's true, Lord. And what you do is you just, you're, you're confronted by it, so you repent. You enjoy it. You let your heart soar into connection with him. You let all these conversations lead you somewhere. And I am just here to tell you, these become real conversations with the real man, the real God man. Jesus really comes near and he really talks to you. It's not just a technique. It develops a, a new way of communicating with him, and it's based on what you're seeing in him in the scriptures. So, um, okay, so to get a good sense of this, I'm going to get some people to help me. So. Um, these are, uh, we're, we've been recently in, uh, Luke chapter 19, the triumphal entry. So Jesus is about a week or less uh, before his crucifixion and he rides into the city. Now you just some little details to help you. It's his idea. He actually says, <clears throat> um, go get me a colt from this guy. If anybody stops you, just say the, the master has need of it. So it's his idea. So they go and they steal a cold, basically, because they don't ask for it. And the guy stops and says, hey, what are you doing? And they say, oh, the master has need of it. And so he says, okay, take it. Then they bring it to him. They put him on the colt. And then they, when he rides into the city, there's the, the, the great uh, uh, you know, showering of worship and praise from all the people that have seen the miracles, those that are following him, plus all the Pharisees in Jerusalem, because he's not often in Jerusalem. So they're, they're coming in for one of the few times that he's there. They don't like him. They actually say, teacher, tell your disciples to stop doing this. And his response is, 
If I stop, if they stop, the rocks cry out. Man, you could spend a month on that. Seriously, you could spend hours and hours and hours on that statement. What does that mean? And am I even participating in that at all? How many times have worship songs come and gone? Is, are you going to get the chairs sitting next to me to have to worship you because I won't do it? I mean, think of the power of that. Jesus saying, if they don't do it, the rocks will do it because I'm worthy of it. And so anyway, I won't go too deep into that. So anyway, we've been in that for, I think we've done six hours on it. So I want to get some of our staff to come on up and share their interactions with it. Now, Ariel, why don't you come first? Because she always comes first. She does every debrief. She always starts us. So we might as well keep the tradition going. And uh, here, I'm going to give you this microphone. Now, what I've asked her to do is basically just share um, her interactions with the passage. So we're not, um, this is not the final word on it because we're going to have a few other people come and share their interactions. But here's one way in which one person that you know and like has interacted with it. So you go ahead and tell us what you yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, so the first time we started it, uh, what stuck out to me and where I started my launch point was, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so the Lord just like took me on a journey about peace and the peace that he brings when he comes. So in the story, he's coming into Jerusalem and it says, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And so that's kind of my launching point, but then I didn't really necessarily focus about that part in the story much more. I just like went where the Lord took me. And so um, basically I'm just asking like, how do I access peace? And if you, when you come in the room and if your presence is near, when you come into Jerusalem and you bring peace, how can I access that peace? And so I was talking more about myself, but ultimately will be about the Lord. And um, so I just kind of was sitting and like asking, like, I want whatever time, whatever place, whatever's going on, I want to be, be able to access peace. And so I didn't necessarily figure it out the first time, but then the next uh, week, uh, hour two of meditating, then I really uh, connected with the Lord and like, just asked him, um, where is this peace found? And I felt Psalm 23. And like he mentioned the, the set we were listening to all of a sudden, I had just got that and they like literally started singing <laughs> Psalm 23 for half an hour. And it, and so I just let that lead me. And it, uh, it took me to a place where I felt like the Lord gave me a picture of, him and I, like, on the shores, um, and I could just really feel his nearness, and, like, I felt like him put his arm around me, and I just felt that peace that I was asking about, and so I was, like, I've never really had, a like, a, a happy place before, or, like, when someone's, like, think of your happy place, and so I think this was a, a divine happy place that the Lord gave me, and, uh, then I w I've been able to access that whenever I wanted to. And so it was really like neat to like the Lord gave me that picture and then I can use it throughout life whenever peace is needed. And now that I think about it, like I think it'll be something helpful to give to others who need peace. Um, I haven't thought about that till I just said it right now. So I will think on that next time. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, 
do you want me to keep going? We've sure. done this so many weeks. I know it just kept kept well, going different places. And tell if you don't mind, tell them the thing about he's the king over the big stuff, but then when it comes to oh, the okay. personal stuff, that, that's powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so as I continued in the verse, um, I was thinking about the Lord coming in that time very lowly on the colt and then thinking of when he'll return again and coming in more with the fury and the blood drenched garments. And, and so I'm thinking like that, if he brings peace, then that's also bringing peace. And, and so I'm kind of dialoguing with him, like of the difference and how do I uh, bring those two things together? Cause I'm like, I'm fine with like how you are when you bring peace in humility, but then that intenseness that's coming a day, I was like, you do things so different. Like your leadership is so different. And, uh, I was, I'm like, I want to love you and the way that you do things. I want to love how you lead my life right now. And I want to love how you will come again. And, uh, Oops. So there was like a little bit of a disconnect and a little bit of like a, oh, I don't know how I, if I trust you <laughs> like as much as I would like to trust you. And um, so I, that was basically where I started the next week was I want to love your leadership this way. I want to love it, whatever it looks like. And uh, how can I trust you uh, more for for this. And so just like that really has gone a lot off the verse. And all of a sudden I'm just talking about his nearness and trusting him in every area of my life. And so then I felt like he gave me another picture and that I, I think it was also directed by the singing that yep. was happening yep. <laughs> as it does. But I, um, I, they were singing about, I open my heart to you. And so then I was like, okay, Lord, I open my heart to you for this trust and I immediately felt like him give me that picture of him just like pouring trust into my open heart uh, that I had just said, I'm open myself to you. And I just felt him like pour it in. And uh, as we debriefed about it, it was more what I think the Lord was highlighting is, is that it's him who's pouring that in. I set myself there, but it was him that that was going to give me the trust for his right. leadership. Awesome. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> That's really good. Good. So uh, we'll take that first one. Now you're going to hear a couple more and you'll notice the differences. We're all working on the same passage. We're all working at it at the same time and we're not hearing the same things. And the Lord's talking to us because he's individually uh, uh, designing it to speak to us about what he wants to show us about himself and about what's relevant for us. So uh, Joel, you're up. Come on. Now, uh, when she had the open heart and the trust being poured in, that sounds like poetry, right? It sounds like, oh, isn't that nice that that's what the Lord, you know, wants to do in a poetic way. I think we should think of it more as literal. I think when she said, okay, I open up my heart to you, she really opens up her heart. And then the Lord really comes and says, I want to pour some trust into you. That seems a little weird that he just pours something in, but isn't that the way he does it anyway? Don't we already know that, that he pours into us and the Holy Spirit is poured out? And, and so I'm going on this side. And so these kinds of things are real. They're real in the moment. You have real encounters with the Lord through the, the things that he's talking to you about. Okay, you go ahead. 
Um, so as I um, went and um, meditated on this passage, I kind of, I started off initially um, asking the question, what caused you, Jesus, to weep at the site of Jerusalem? And then I kind of, that was only for the first day. And then the following week, then it kind of changed. And then the next week it started, um, who do you say that I am? Uh, Joel. And then it just kind of opened up a dialogue. For me, whenever I do Bible meditation, I find myself to be more of a conversationalist. And like, as if I'm actually having a conversation, a dialogue with the Lord, like right there in front of me. And so I usually write down everything as if it's like um, a conversation in my journal. So, um, and then it just, it kind of turned from, from that. Then, you know, I asked the question, he asked me, who do you say I am? And then I kind of kept going and I, um, I said here, Jesus, you came as a lowly servant on a donkey, not a prancing steed. Not in royal robes, but on, uh, but on the clothes of the poor and humble. Jesus, you never displayed force and the arrogance of earthly kings, but you displayed and signified love, grace, mercy, and your own sacrifice for your people. And then you did not wear a crown or had a sword to display your importance. You showed meekness and humility. And then it turned from that. Then the following week kind of came. And then he kind of rebuked me about my own humility, like my own humility and my lack thereof of humility, <laughs> and uh, which was good because I think that it just kind of it ties you to the story. It ties you to understanding the heart of God for you and as you meditate. And then the following week, and then it kind of came and then I, the conversation kind of played out. Even though you didn't come with a sword on your side, a crown on your head, and no royal robes the first time around, you will return with a sword on your side. You will come wearing blood-drenched robes on a white horse, wearing many crowns on your head. You will display the fullness of your authority victoriously and mightily coming back here for us, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then it just kind of turned into this idea of King Jesus is the victorious one. The, the, the champion coming back for me. And then you kind of throw it more, you, then you turn the conversation. Then he, has, then he kind of turns it around and says, but Joel, I'm going to be victorious in your own journey, in, in your own circumstances. And then all of a sudden, then I usually hear song lyrics in the midst of my Bible meditation time. And then I kind of came to this, I'll do this quick one. But then I kind of just, um, I landed on this song by Bethel, Champion, and it says, Oh, victory you have won, victorious you have come. What was stolen you brought back to us. You are a champion, you fight for us, you made a way where there was none. Our champion, your strongness, the debt we owed you paid in blood. And then he says to me, uh, then I felt the Lord say to me, To see the king is to see victory. To see the king is to see the defender. To see the king is to see the overcomer. To see the king is to see the champion. To see the king is to see the faithful one. To see the king is to see the promise keeper. To see the king is to see Jesus. And then he says, do not stare at the giants, for they will not win, because I am victorious. 
And then it kind of plays out the next following weeks. Wow. So. Okay, so just to comment on that, that's not an observation from a distance. That's an encounter with the with the, the, the real one, Jesus, who then comes near and starts to interact with you, right? You're having a real conversation. He says he starts by saying, Joel, who do you say that I am? And it forces you to go, I mean, you know the Bible answers, but who, who do you really say that I am? And it, and then all of a sudden this unfolds, revelation comes to you, and you start writing that stuff. And you get to the end of it, like as you probably did what I often do, I get to the end of those things, I read them back and go, where did that come from? I didn't even have that in my head 10 minutes ago. And I just wrote all this out. It's un unbelievable, the revelation that flows. And ultimately, it was all about him, right? You walk out of that room and you're like, I feel closer to him and I feel like I know him better, like I've really encountered him. And he talked about me and he talked about all kinds of things, but it's him. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. But then the cool thing was, in the following, the next week, then he turns it around and says, you will be victorious. You will be mighty. You will conquer and you will overcome. Like, it was, it was just like, it's like, I focus on him, he focuses on me, and I focus back on him. It was just pretty cool. <laughs> it's so. very cool. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. Okay, next one, Brian. Now, you've seen already two very different things. It's the exact same passage. Here comes the third one. This will be different again. Yeah, so um, one of the weeks when I was looking over this passage, uh, the, the question kind of where I started off was with uh, where Jesus asked the disciples to go and get the colt from the, or the, the colt of a donkey, whatever, from, from these people. But he left out key information. That was the thing that kind of stuck out to me. Like he didn't, he did not tell the disciples. He just said like, go, you'll find a colt there and, and take it with you. And if they ask a question, tell them that, you know, I've sent you. What he didn't tell them is, does he know these people? Does he have a relationship with them? Did he maybe even talk to them about it beforehand? Like there's a bunch of information that we don't know. So we can guess and speculate, but we don't actually know what the full story of what was going on there. So, the, so that, that's, that was kind of my starting point. That, that was kind of highlighted to me. And, and the question I had was, like, why didn't you give them all the information? Like if, you know, so like the, the analogy would be like, let's say Brian just mentioned, he said, hey, I got... My neighbors, but right beside me, have a car in the drive. I just want you to go hop in and come pick me up somewhere else or whatever, and without telling me any details, right? And so, which is, of course, how the Lord often leads. And so that, that, that insight started just this conversation with God. And so, in some ways, the, the, well, the, the main question was, is, Lord, why, didn't, why don't you give me all the information? Like, when you're asking me to do things, like, sometimes if you could just tell me, a, just tell me a couple, fill in a couple of details, then I'm good. Like, I'm good to go, but why don't you do that? And so, um, so there's a number of things the Lord started speaking to me in the midst of that conversation. One was this, is that, um, is that he doesn't always, he didn't owe his disciples an explanation at all because he's God. <laughs> and so, so it's kind of a reminder to me, because this is like, a, this is, the, the theme that was kind of being hit on for me was trust. Is Lord, why do you ask me to do things and not explain like, and you don't give me enough information. And, and so the first thing was that he doesn't owe them an explanation. He doesn't owe me an explanation because he's God. And the next question I had for myself is, well, do I trust God in the things that don't make sense? And, um, and then the, the Lord just started speaking to me. So I'll just read some of the things I've written down. Um, I felt like the Lord said, and this is like the, the rebuke piece where he said, Brian, you think you know better than me. But like when, when he's writing that, when he's saying something like that, it's like, like, it's not shocking. It's like, yeah, I sometimes think I do. And I'm wrong, I know, you're right. So, but then he kept on, on, um, on speaking. He said, but I know what you need. And I know how I'm leading you. And being a disciple is not about you. 
And you've heard far too many church lies that have got you off your focus. Too many teachings about how it's really about you and about your needs and your desires. But it's really about me and my kingdom. And a soldier never questions his commanding officer. And at that point, I kind of, my heart's a little bit like, oh man, but I thought you were, you know, like these different natures of God. I thought you were a tender, loving father, but you're a commanding officer too, right? So, so these different perspectives. So like, I'm kind of in a, in a bit of a wrestle with this, but then the Lord actually started speaking some things to me about like um, destiny and ministry and different things he's, he's called me to, which I'll skip over. Um, but then he made some other statements and he said, I chose the way of humility. I chose the donkey. I chose the Bethlehem stable. And I didn't need to promote myself. I only did what I saw the father doing. And, um, and then I felt him asking me some questions. Do you know what the father is doing? Do you know what he's saying? And so kind of, kind of out of this time, it was, it, it was just, just a real reminder. Like he's actually the one who's, what, what he was speaking to me is that in the ministry things he's calling me to do, which I often feel like they're all spread out and there's a bunch of different areas. And sometimes it's hard to figure out what on earth is going on is just remember that none of it depends on me. He's the one who's in charge, and I just need to obey. And he actually really does have good things in store for me, but I need to trust him in the midst of it. Really good. Really good. So I remember you on the first week when you brought that up, and and it wasn't resolved after the no. first week. So we did our first 50 minutes to an hour, and you were basically saying, it's kind of panicky a little bit because he's not telling us everything and he's expecting a lot of us. And, and it was, you were left like on the edge. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't resolved. And so, but ne- week two brings you a little further and week three and week four and the Lord continues to talk and, and it's just, you come through. I'm pretty sure we could take the same passage and stay on it for a number of weeks yet. And he would continue to talk to us continue to reveal himself. We get bored because we're humans, but he's just got a lot to say. Yeah. And I kind of think that in many passages, if you're not getting offended at at least some point in the passage, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> you know, like, like let the Bible, because that's why in some ways, like why the Lord wrote it, right? Like he just, he wants to get in our junk and he wants to get really uncomfortably close and offend us a little bit. Well said. And then he can lovingly like correct us and we can repent and then get our heart right. And that, like, that's what I want. Like, I, I want the word to come and offend me. Um, like where, where I need to be offended. Cause I, I know I have stuff in areas where I don't agree with him. Right. So one of the things I love about Bible meditation is we get to come face to face with him and he's super kind and he's super, super gentle with us. Um, thank goodness because the word sometimes smacks you upside the head. And, and so I, I, I really enjoy that, that process of it. Excellent. Good. Thank you. That's excellent. Let's just, we'll, we'll wrap it up for now. Cause there's, we've said enough. Don't be frustrated, frustrated, no matter what happens. No matter what goes on, don't be frustrated. This is more about um, friendship with Jesus than you already have, and he's more committed to it than, than you are. And so if it's slow or if somebody else is getting something and you're thinking, oh, I wish I had that, don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about any of that. Just go on the journey. The first time you do these passages, they're okay. By the time you do five or six or seven hours on the same passage, it gets a lot better and a lot different. So we'll do that too. It's not a competition. Don't compare yourself with others. And when we get to debriefing time, which is a little bit about what we, kind of what we just did a minute ago, but I'll interact with you a bit more. We'll do it as a group and we'll draw out some of the key ideas and you'll see, you'll instantly start to recognize, oh, that's what he's doing. And then we'll be on our way. It's going to be great. 